Hey everyone, Josh Case here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy today's message. Give the Lord a great praise. Oh, give the Lord a mighty thank you. Amen. Stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to warn you, it's been a month and I feel like preaching. Anybody hungry for the Word today? Let's welcome Palm Coast and NSB here live. So glad to have two of our eight campuses here. I just know that God's going to do mighty things. If you're watching online or you have a, a social media platform, why don't you share this service on every campus and let's just invite people in. One of the things I'm convinced about is this. I've come too far to quit now. How many of y'all can say you ain't quitting on Jesus? Come on. See, I've been in this thing too long. I've got too much water underneath the bridge. I've been through too much. God has been too good. And the determination that I feel here today is that I refuse to be sidetracked. I'm pressing toward the future, and I'm expecting God to move. Quitting, slowing down, lightening up, it's not in my vocabulary. I'm marching into Hell's Kitchen in this next season, and we're going to see revival. How many of you are ready? Amen. So I'm going to tell you that I have a word for every campus today, so open your heart. Uh, God spoke to me so specifically while I was gone. Philippians 3, 1 through 14. These next few weeks are going to be some of the most important messages that I've ever preached in the history of my ministry here at Calvary. But the first verse, Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Tell everybody in your neighborhood that means you. (laughs) Yeah, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, But for you, it is safe. He said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. Now, ironically, he's talking about church folk here, not the world. Come on, somebody. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, through whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, King James Version says, dung, that I may win or gain with Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him. Anybody want to know him today? And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed 
to his death if by any means that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on and I may lay hold of that which for Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press, I press. Somebody say, I press. I press towards the goal for the prize of the high upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you today this is an important word. I want to preach for the next few minutes along these lines, the point of no return. I feel like there are some people here, the die has been cast, the decision has been made, no matter what, you are not going back, you are at the point of no return as it relates to Jesus. How many of you are at the point of no return? Yeah. Come on, Palm Coast, NSB, you at home. How many of you will say, Pastor, I'm right there with you, I'm at the point of no return. Slip up your hands, precious, and let's invite the Lord to have his way. God, we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to become more. Thank you for ushering us into this moment. Have your way. Every campus, give the Lord the ovation of praise right now. Let him know you're, you're at the point of no return. You can be seated here and on our campuses. You know, I, I was reading something recently and this statement, the point of no return, can actually be connected to aviation. And this statement is powerful because when a plane is racing down the runway, we have many guys in here who are pilots and, and, and they understand this, but there's a place that you get when you are ready to take off, it finally reaches a point where you cannot abort the takeoff. You cannot not take off. You've got too much invested, and this is the point of no return. That pilot knows, I have to rise or crash. He crosses into that place where he said, up is the only option. I dare you to tell somebody around you, up is the only option. Yes, I'm at that place where I've got to take off. I'm at that place where I've got to rise. I'm not going to stay down with the doubters. I'm not going to get comfortable with those who want to stay on the ground. I've got to rise. I'm at the point of no return. But then there is another time when a pilot experiences the point of no return. On that journey, when he finally reaches beyond the halfway point, he's at a place where he doesn't have enough fuel to go back. He's invested too much fuel and he can't get back to where he came from because he's got too much invested in where he's going. I feel like there are some people here in Palm Coast and NSB online, you have got too much invested with Jesus, you've got too much under the bridge, you've got too much destiny and purpose, you are not entertaining, looking back, going back, or turning around, you are at the point of no return. You may watch people quit, you may watch people give up, but you have come to an essential place, and that place is the point of no return. Let me hear from a few people who might just be there. 
Oh, come on, come on. Let me hear from the people who say, Pastor, Apostle, I'm right there with you. See, here's what I have decided. We must rise. We don't have an option. We must rise. We are living in the last days. We cannot let the calculated schemes of the enemy divide us or detour us. We must rise. We must complete our mission. We have invested too much to turn back now. Can I get a witness in the room? Hallelujah. I'm too invested, y'all. I've been preaching now for 38 years, and many under the sound of my voice, you are in that same situation. You are at the point of no return. If anyone lived that reality, if anyone understood that, it was the great and legendary Apostle Paul. Here in Philippians 3, Paul kicks off this chapter in verse 3 with a very beautiful word. He says, rejoice. Now watch this. He said, rejoice in Christ. Now that may not sound like much until you ascertain where Paul is. Paul is in prison at this moment. He's in Rome and he's on death row. He's awaiting death by beheading. And he's not depressed. He's not afraid. He's not uptight. He's not about to quit. He's not weeping. He's instructing his followers and the followers of Jesus in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, in one place he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, anybody can rejoice when everything is going great. Anybody can rejoice when you got money in your pocket and droves in your bank account and everything is going wonderful in your family. But when all hell is breaking loose, but you know the heaven inside of you is greater than the hell outside of you, and you say, I'm going to rejoice because God's got this. You know you got to hold us something that's got a hold of you. The word rejoice, precious, is a very powerful word in the Greek. Now, I'm going to do some line upon line teaching. Rejoice means to be calm. It means to be happy. And it means to be full of joy. Now, here's what the Bible said. Paul said, rejoice in Christ. Paul wasn't saying that I'm rejoicing in my circumstances, but I'm rejoicing in my Savior because he is faithful. How we need more rejoicing in the church. Oh, come on somebody. Your neighbor certainly needs it. Have you ever seen people, they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice and they come to church and look miserable? We need more joy. The joy of the Lord makes us irresistible to the world. The joy of the Lord makes what we have desirable. Listen, believer, it's time to rejoice. Paul refused to allow his circumstances, the power, to rob him of his joy. And I want to say it, even if everything's not perfect right now, don't wait until everything is perfect to find joy. If you're going to wait till everything is perfect, you'll never have joy. But if you make up in your mind, I'm going to praise the Lord right now, and I'm going to rejoice because I know God's working it all out. Come on now. Here's the deal. I've taught you this several months ago. Do you remember when David was crowned king after 15 years, he received the anointing, and 15 years later, he's finally at the point where he is crowned king of Judah. 
God made him king of Judah, which means praise, before he was made king of the entire kingdom. It took a little while. There was a lot that went on that led him to be able to claim the whole kingdom. But God started him off with praise. He said, David, I'm going to make you king of praise before I make you king of anything else. He started off, precious, with Judah. He had to learn to praise God for the partial. It means this. It's learning to praise God. God and rejoice over what you got on the way to what you want. I dare somebody right now, maybe you don't have everything that you want and maybe everything's not perfect, but if you really take an evaluation of your life, you can say without a doubt, God has been faithful to me. Why don't you stop right now and just practice rejoicing? Uh. Oh, yeah, I feel that, y'all. Come on, Palm Coast, just practice a little rejoicing right now. Come on, uh, come on in SB, practice a little bit of rejoicing. Somebody at home, practice a little bit of rejoicing. Now, in verse 1, he, exp- he just expresses and encourages and instructs people to rejoice in Christ. But then in verse 2, he does something very amazing. He begins to warn people. He said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, it would be something if he was talking about the world, but he's addressing church folk here. Oh, it's quiet in this room. And he said, number one, you need to beware of dogs. Tell somebody in your neighborhood, beware of dogs. Yeah, yeah, dogs here are the ones who run in packs. Dogs here are the ones always yapping, always barking, always carrying on. They howl all the time. You can't never make them happy. They're always liking each other's mean posts. Come on, somebody. They, get, they put up a mean post, and you know there's two people going to like it, and it's the dogs that run together in the packs. Y'all don't make me preach. They howl, and they yap, and they yip, and they bite, and they're never happy. They talk about everybody. They tear down their leaders. They tear down other believers. Who let the dogs out? Come on, somebody. Maybe you've been a dog. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't believe it. But maybe somebody on your row has been a dog. But here's the good news. The dog catcher is in the house. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. You got to look out for dogs in the kingdom. They're not going to have joy, and they won't let anybody around them have joy. Have you ever known people that not only did they want to be miserable, their misery was not complete until they made you miserable? Sometimes, here it is, you ready for this? Sometimes you have to limit people's access to your life. That don't mean you don't love them, but you got to limit their access to your life. That doesn't mean that ultimately you don't care about them. You've just reached a point where your peace is too precious. Your peace is too valuable, and you will not allow dogs to hijack it. People who want to be negative anyway, they're going to be negative with you or without you. So just say, okay, you're going to be negative without me. And here's what the enemy doesn't want you to know. Peace is a weapon. 
Can I find somebody to preach to today? Tell everybody in your neighborhood, peace is a weapon. Yeah, when it's all going crazy, when people are acting foolish, even when you're out of money, even when people are dogging you out, even when you're struggling, peace is a weapon. There are some people right now, the devil has Conform, he has formed every attack against you imaginable and he has even used people around you and close to you but you are still walking in peace and that is a weapon I decree and declare that this is not a season of turmoil for your life but this is a season of supernatural peace where you absolutely defeat every work of the enemy that would try to rob you of your peace and steal your purpose. If you receive it, give God a praise. Yes. Sometimes, precious, you have to limit the access of certain people in your life because their assignment is to rob you of your peace. Now, here's the reality. If you look around and the people in your circle don't inspire you and draw you to Jesus, you don't have a circle. You got a cage. I better say that again. I said, if you look around and the people in your circle don't inspire you and draw you to Jesus, you don't have a circle, you've got a cage. Because they want to cage you up in their gossip, in their drama, and in their turmoil. They, they, they are the very ones that you better be careful about. Now, Paul said, he said, beware of dogs. And then he said, beware of evil workers. Oh, come on now. Evil workers, Palm Coast, NSB, they are the ones who have a negative nature. Have you ever known somebody, they saw the cloud in front of the silver lining. They were perpetually, continually, always negative. Didn't matter if they had money. Didn't matter if things were going good. Well, it's going good right now, but it ain't going to go good in Navarra. I can already tell you that. They are negative. It's like, it's like this little boy, that, that these two little boys, one was an optimist and one was a pessimist. And uh, the pessimist, they, 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 they both received a horse. And the pessimist looked at the horse and said, yeah, I know you gave me that horse today, but you're going to take it away from me tomorrow. I know I won't have this horse. You know, you just teasing me. This ain't my horse. I've been wanting a horse, but I know this isn't mine. You're going to take it away. And he could not even find a place to say thank you because he knew I'm going to lose it anytime. And then there was another boy who was an optimist. The pessimist received the horse. The optimist, they took him to the barn, and the barn was completely full of manure. It was full of manure up to his waist. That optimist jumped in head first and started swimming in the manure. People said, what in the world are you doing, son? He said, with all this manure, there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. Come on, somebody. I have come to tell you that I am not going to allow people with a negative nature to rob me of my joy. They are evil workers. They are full of hidden, wicked motives and agendas. And Paul said, you've got to separate yourself from evil workers. You know how you're around the evil worker? They're, they're empty of grace. They're empty of gratitude. All they want to do is tear others down. These people 
people are on assignments to distract you and diminish your joy. But how many of you are not going to let the dogs or the evil workers have any power in your life? Mm -hmm. But then he says something precious that's amazing to me. He said, beware of mutilators. Now, what are mutilators? This is about to really get real. Mutilators represent those people who have had themselves circumcised and they believe that you could not know salvation unless you were circumcised. They believe that circumcision was sealing the deal and it was proof of their salvation. But Paul said something powerful here. He basically said, if you've been circumcised, but your heart is still full of ugly, if you've been circumcised and you're still gossiping, if you've been circumcised and you can't get along with nobody, y'all don't make me come down there and amen myself. If you've been circumcised and you're still full of rebellion and lies and compromise, even if you've checked all the religious boxes, circumcision is nothing for you more than mutilating the body. All you've done in that circumcision is, my God, I'm about to preach. All you've done is mutilated your own body. There is nothing that has transformed your soul and conformed you into the image of Christ Jesus because though your body changed, you look good on the outside, there was no change inside of you. Oh, come on now, church. I've come to let somebody know that church membership won't save you. Religious ritual won't save you. Wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, that doesn't ensure that you are born again. But when you have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that transforms your very nature, then you have something real. Are you understanding what I'm saying? A real encounter with the Lord will change the nature of a man. Somebody give him praise right now. Come on, Palm Coast. Come on in, SB. It's very pharisaical, this mentality of religion. I saw a lot of Pharisees over the last few weeks. But here's the reality. You will never be good enough or religious enough for some people. So stop tripping, rest in the finished work of Christ, and move on. Somebody make a little bit of noise if you're ready to move on. I say give God a praise if you're ready to move on. You got the spirit of a Pharisee? I said for years, I specialize in doing pharisectomies. Come on, somebody. You know you're at the point of no return when the dogs, the evil workers, the religious Pharisees have no power to steal your joy. That's why Paul said rejoice in Christ, not in your religion, but in Christ. Now look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Uh-huh. We worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus, here it goes now, and have no confidence in the flesh. Don't start acting like you can be good enough by yourself apart from the blood 
and apart from the cross, don't act like you can do this and achieve redemption without Jesus. Now, Paul said, have no confidence in the flesh. Paul was a man who hated this religious spirit. He hated the religious mindset because prior to conversion, he was the absolute zenith of zealousness. You know, when you are delivered from something that binds you up, how many of you know you hate what used to bind you up? And that's where Paul was. He was the zenith of zealousness before the Lord changed his life. He gives his spiritual resume. He begins to talk about it in verses 5 and 6. He says, I'm the stock of Israel. He said, I came through Jacob. I didn't come through Ishmael. He said, I'm directly connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And it was such a prideful thing for people to be from the tribe of Benjamin or Judah. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And when he said that, he was basically saying, don't you know that we gave Israel their first king? Benjamin is a very precious and powerful tribe. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I got it going on. I retained the language, the Hebrew language, when so many abandoned it. He said, I kept the customs. And I, he, he said, I kept the language. He said, I was a pharaoh elite. He said, I was blameless. I was a law keeper. And then he said, on top of all that, I was fanatical. I persecuted the church. I was fanatical in my religion. No one was more zealous than me. This represented everything that Paul had done in his flesh and in his strength. And that's why he said in verse 3, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in what I was able to do. I have no confidence in my religion. Religion. I'm only here because I've been resurrected and redeemed from my dead in sin days and I have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, religion will shut you up. Religion will keep you from praising God. Religion will keep you from compassion. But when you finally cross on over and say, nothing I've done has created this time of freedom in my life, I got to give God praise. If you're not putting your confidence in the flesh, but you're putting it all in Christ, come on, let's give him praise right now. Paul reached at this point, and he was so concerned about what people thought of him. He was so constrained by this religious box that he was performing. It was a performance he was not truly connected to the Lord. So he said, I've learned to place no confidence in the flesh. Because how many of you know the flesh will let you down? You can be strong one day, weak the next. Come on, somebody. Here's what Paul said. So he, Paul, seemingly sitting in that prison, awaiting beheading, he seemingly has lost everything. And in verse 7, he says something very powerful and significant. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. What he's saying here, precious, is I discovered what was important. And he said, anything and anyone that I lost, if it drew me more to the Lord, if it connected me more to Jesus, see you later, alligator, in a while, crocodile. 
It was worth it. Let me tell you something. I have finally reached a point in my life. Honestly, I've been there for a long time. I am not reducing my standards. I'm not reducing my spiritual morality. I'm not watering down the gospel so that I can have a bigger crowd and I can impress more people. I have made up in my mind that there is a standard and we're going to raise it. And we have made up in our mind that we will not be enslaved. Whatever you got to lose, be glad to lose it if you get drawn closer to Jesus. Some of you have been sitting around worried. I've said this for years. I don't even know why I'm going here. Worried about who left you. She don't even text me no more. He won't even call me back. Come on, somebody. They, they walked out on me. They got mad with me and left. Let me tell you, stop worrying about who's not with you. Anybody that's not with you was not critical for your destiny because God would not allow anybody to leave you who was relative and, and purposeful in your destiny. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Everything you need is either with you or it's on the way. Some of y'all, y'all been tripping. I, I said this years ago. You've been tripping about who left you, who's not with you anymore, who's disconnected. Instead of sitting around and worrying about it, when you leave here, go to Walmart. Buy you a thank you card. Stop by McDonald's. Get you some gift certificates. Put them in the card. Sign the card and say, thank you for leaving me. Because I never could have got to the next level if I'd have had to drag your sorry. Sometimes the very thing that will bless you is when you lose something, when you lose a relationship. I don't know about you, I'm thankful for everything he gave me, but I stand here today and I'm grateful for everything he took. Ah! If you're thankful even for what you lost, if it drew you to Jesus, give him a praise right now. I feel like preaching. Come on, Palm Coast, NSB online. He said in verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things. Now that's big. Not some things, not a few things, all things. I count all things, but for, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as but dung. Y'all know what that is? Poo poo. Come on somebody. That I may win with Christ. Did you hear what he calls all things? He calls them dung. He said anything that was assassinating my assignment and holding me back from winning with Christ, it was dung, dung, refuge. You know what that is? Let me tell you something. Some of the stuff you've lost in your pursuit of peace and Jesus was dung compared to winning with Christ. Young person, nothing you sacrifice, nothing you leave behind. You, you, need, to, you need to let it go, it's all dung. I see young people so concerned about what their friends think. But let me tell you something, young person, your friends didn't die for you. 
and your friends ain't coming back for you. And you can't afford to make permanent decisions with temporary people. Y'all, don't make me preach. It's all done. So many times I've said, let me talk to the young people a minute. I've been stirred up because I'm preaching to young people this week. But let me tell you something, young person. You need to understand that you've got to cross on over because the you are so determined, some of you, to just impress people. You're so determined to impress people that you go to school with. And in 10 years, you won't even remember their name. Oh, y'all don't, I, I sit around now and try to remember the names of the people I went to high school with. I can't even hardly remember their names. And certainly when I see them on Facebook, I say, that can't be them. Come on, somebody. They, they done got old. I'm still looking young. Look how old they look. I can't be, they went to school with me. Y'all don't make me preach up in here. Let me tell you, I have finally reached a place in my life wherever, whatever I got to lose, I'm ready to lose it, but I want to win with Christ. If you want to win with Christ, open up your mouth and give God a praise. Oh, maybe you're going through dung right now. Tell everybody in your neighborhood, dung happens. Yeah, come on now. Dung happens, dung happens. Dung happens. We, we've got a lot of dung in our nation. We got a lot of dung that's tried to invade the church. But let me tell you what it's time to do. It's time for preachers to rise up and preach the truth. Uh-huh. Let me tell you something. Can I, can I get really real? Sex is for married folk. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing to me. I said sex is for married folk. We, we have stopped preaching about the fact that there is a Bible way to sexuality. We've got now preachers that are just full of dung and everything they're preaching is dung. And they won't take a stand on anything moral in the Word of God. But there is a generation that wants to return back to the Word. Come on. And I'm gonna tell you the truth, I am an equal opportunity offender. I don't have the agenda of the donkey or the lamb. I've got the agenda of the dove. I've got the agenda of the Holy Ghost. So that means I will never fit in social constructs. That means political ideals and parties cannot hold me because I'm not a part of a party, I'm a part of a kingdom. Yeah. And I don't look at the Democratic Party and I don't look at the Republican Party to decide what I'm going to believe. I get that Bible out. And what the Bible says, that's where I find myself. On every matter of racism, on every matter of justice, on every matter of righteousness, I'm going to land in the Word. Is there any Word people in the house? Where is the church that will meet at the Bible? I wouldn't be fit to be your pastor or your apostle if I allowed social constructs and political parties to determine what I would preach. I'm not joining your made-up side. Every side that divides is a made-up side. I'm going to stick with the Bible. So, so give me some time. I'll offend you. 
but I still love you. How many of you would say, Pastor, preach to me the truth and don't cave to the culture. Apostle, tell me what I need to hear even if it makes me uncomfortable. If that's you, give God a praise right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. What I'm trying to tell you, precious, is this. There's ramifications when you behave immorally. So, hear me now. God calls Saul on the road to Damascus. He causes him to go blind. And Saul finds himself in a place where he can't see what he needs to see. But God delivered him and healed him and restored his vision. But when he did that, he did something very powerful. He changed his name from Saul to Paul. He changed his identity. You couldn't even call him what you used to call him anymore. And it becomes profound when you understand what it meant to be changed from Saul to Paul. Because the name Saul means desired. It means wanted. And all his life, Paul had lived to be desired. But the name Paul means humble. So he said, I'm going to change you. And I'm going I'm to put to death that thing in you that is desired. That thing in you that wants to be liked and loved by everyone. That wants to be magnified and lifted up. He said, I, I, I'm opening your eyes and I'm changing your name from desired to humble. And you know what's amazing here? Is Paul didn't go straight to Jerusalem. It seems like when Paul received his call, he would have went straight to Jerusalem, but no, it was three years before he went and met with the apostles. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to the desert. God said, no, I got to take you into the desert. He said, I got to take you into the desert until I empty you of Saul and you become Paul. I got to take you through that trouble until everything in you that itches for glory is laid down. I got to take you through that desert until you are changed. I'm going to change your nature. I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change your priorities. I don't know who I'm talking to, but Paul's destiny was desert delivered. God, you may feel like you're in a desert right now. God is just working some things out. When God takes you through the desert season, it's never to destroy you. It's always to develop you. Paul changed in the desert. Sometimes we don't change until it's dry. Jesus Sometimes we don't change until it's hot. Sometimes it don't change till we're by ourselves. 
But God said, before I'll let you get to somewhere you're not prepared for, I'll take you into the desert and I'll change you from desired to humble. I'll change you from a man who cares about what everybody thinks to a man who walks in humility. And by the time Paul got to Jerusalem, when he came in before the apostles, listen to me. He didn't strut in. He wasn't a religious Pharisee. He wasn't tearing nobody down. All that had been left in the desert. He walked in there a man transformed. And there has got to be a church that will rise up, that will say, Lord, if I'm in the desert, you transform me in my desert. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed unto his death. This is his pursuit now. He's awaiting beheading, but he's still pursuing God. He said that I may know him. See, if it had been us, we would have said that I may get out of this prison. That I may find myself in the Hampton tonight. Y'all ain't saying nothing. That, that, that I may get DoorDash to deliver chicken wings and pizza. But Paul said, no, I'm at the point of no return. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But he doesn't stop there because the power of his resurrection represents victory and power and breakthrough. And we often want the glory without the pain. We want to become more like him, but we don't want to go through anything that he went through. But sometimes your pain is necessary for your progress. Sometimes you have to be abandoned. Sometimes you have to weep. Sometimes you have to cry because God said, if I don't, there'll be too much pride in you. So I'll let you face these seasons so I can bring you through on the other side complete and whole. He said that I may know him not just in the power of his resurrection, and in the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable, transformed. Paul was saying in essence here, I'm not telling you that I like being chained to the wall. I'm not telling you I like being hungry and starved and dirty. I'm not telling you I like this prison. But he said, make no mistake about it. If there's something about this prison process that is transforming me into his image, bring it on. If I'll come out of this more like him, bring it on. Sometimes God uses our trials to produce our transformation. My Lord, you got to understand that what was in Paul was greater than what he was in. And then he said in verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, I'm reaching forward to those things that are to come. My God, Paul is captured in jail, but he is not contained in prison because he's still pursuing God. Don't miss this. He was saying, I'm forgetting all the stuff that used to matter to me. It don't matter anymore. It's all, he said, Saul is in the rearview mirror. Now, I'm Paul. He said, one thing I do forgetting. And the word forgetting means neglecting, no longer caring for. The very thing I used to breathe for, if you trace the origin of the word and live for, he said, I don't even care about it anymore. I just want him. 
There are some people here, alcohol used to control you. Rebellion used to control you. Division and fear used to control you. But how many of you can say the things I used to desire, I forgot it. I want everybody that ever struggled with alcoholism, wave at me right now. Look at this. Anybody who struggled with addiction, wave at me right now. My God. But how many of you can say the thing I used to desire, I don't even desire it anymore. Come on, Palm Coast. I've been changed. He said, reaching forth under those things which are to come. Somebody reach right now. Somebody reach for your new season. Somebody reach for breakthrough. Come on, reach until we see Palm Coast in revival. Reach until New Smyrna Beach is in a move of God. Reach, Ormond Beach. He said, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm pressing. I've made a decision. I'm changed. And what matters to me now is the upward call. He said, I'm at the point of no return. I stand before you today grateful to be called to be God's apostle in this hour. Titles don't matter to me. But being sensitive and obedient to God's word and submitted to his process matters greatly to me. We have eight campuses now. I had, I had a guy this week in Oklahoma. He said, I want to bring everything we've got. We'd like to bring it into the Calvary family. You know why? Because there is a remnant rising. I stand before you today, whether you're watching online or you're at NSB or Palm Coast or what an amazing summertime crowd. I'm blown away here in July, right in this building. I stand before you today and I tell you I'm at the point of no return. Many of us are at that point right now. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm at the point of no return. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to shift one thing as it relates to the Word of God. I am at the point of no return. The problem is, the enemy is so, he sows tares and divisions. And I watch people in church, they criticize other believers, tear them down. You know what I wish? I wish we hated our own sin as much we, as we hate everybody else's. Oh, come on. I wish we hated our own sin as much as we hate everybody else's. It would change us if we begin to examine our own hearts. Paul said, I've been changed. I used to be Saul, but now I'm Paul. You know, this last few weeks, we've taken some time off. And I was in the gym 
working out. I needed to. After all I've been eating. Come on, somebody. But I'm in there and I'm plugging my earphones, Pastor Josh. And somehow I happen upon a prayer meeting. And there is an old preacher leading the prayer meeting. He is a Vietnam veteran for the Air Force. And God had been dealing with me about this message, and I said, God, I want to be obedient to preach exactly what you would have me to preach. <laughs> and I heard this guy praying. Man, I'm walking around that gym, tears streaming down my face. <laughs> People probably looked at me and said, man, he must be working out hard. He's crying. Come on, y'all. But I heard the old Vietnam veteran say, who was an Air Force veteran, he said, listen now. He said, I am a Vietnam veteran. I was in the Air Force. He said, we used to have our boys who flew our planes. They would get ready to take off. And when they would get out on the runway, they would rear up, gear up their engines. They would push their throttle down. And they would race down the runway. Just before they took off, they would radio back to the tower. I'm fully committed. I'm taking off. I'm fulfilling this mission. No matter what the cost, I'm fully committed. The assignment is great. I have too many counting on me. I'm taking off. And even if I don't make it back, I'm fulfilling this mission no matter what the cost. Is there anybody here that can say, Jim Rayley, I'm fully committed. I'm going to finish this mission no matter what the cost. No matter who quits, I'm going to fulfill this mission. Tell everybody around you, I'm fully committed. Yes, that means whether you like me or not, affirm me or not, whether you stand behind me or not, I'm basically going to be okay because I am fully committed. The die has been cast. I'm, are you fully committed in Ormond? Are you fully committed in Palm Coast and in New Smyrna and at home? Here's the problem. We have all of this technology. We have all this stuff. But let me tell you something. I've watched many people in the church, they get their spiritual jet and they ride out on the runway and they rev up their engine. But just before they're about to take off, they rear it back down. They turn the throttle back and rather than going all the way, they taxi all the way back to the hangar. Let me tell you something. If a young preacher is watching me, if you're here today, let me tell you something. Don't show me how beautiful your jet is if you're not fully committed. Don't show me how fast you get to Mach 1 if you're not fully committed. Don't show me how great your instrument panel is if you're not fully committed. Listen, preachers, don't tell me how many you have following you on social media if you're not fully committed. I don't care about your facilities. I don't give a rip about your sound. I care nothing about your stage. Where are you in this fight? Are you fully committed? 
Is there anybody here today that can jump on your feet and say, Jim Rayleigh, I am fully committed. If that's you, give God a shout of praise. Tell everybody in your neighborhood, say, I'm fully committed. Tell your neighbor, say, this is what praise looks like when you're fully committed. Come on, this is what hallelujah looks like when you're fully committed. There's something radical about you. There's something next level about you. The last day's revival will require people who have reached the point of no return. People who are fully committed. Who won't allow anything or anybody to detour their destiny. Somebody just raise your hands and say, I'm fully committed. Uh, bring musicians up at the campuses and y'all get ready to take this. But John, I'm looking now. I've got more behind me than I do in front of me. And I can't turn around now. What's that old song, that old, that old song said, I ain't got tired yet. Come on, somebody. I'm fully committed. Do I have anybody in the room that's got too much invested and you're fully committed? You're at the point of no return. You at home, if you're at the point of no return, just slip up your hands right now. Sing, John. Somebody worship him. what you want. I want everybody that wants that. Just make your way to the front right now. Let's pray together. Let, let's close together as a family. Will you do it? If you're at the point of no return, just come this way. your heart to the Lord. Begin to move right now. Say, oh! Hallelujah!
for today's message. You can continue to be part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060 or you can visit calvaryfl.com slash give. 
We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. You can also stay connected by following us on social media at Calvary FL and by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Again, thank you for joining us.